You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome once again to the Moe Gamer podcast. Slightly late this week, for which we apologise, but it's obviously going to be a little bit uh, a little bit disrupted over the holiday season. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping at the moment I will get a very special episode X up for um, for the holiday season if I can uh, convince some uh, some old friends to join me. So look forward to that, uh, unless it doesn't happen, in which case forget I said any of that. Um, so for today, though, once again, I'm joined by my good friend Chris Kasky of MrGilderPixels.com. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. All right, great. Back to the land of the living. Yes, yes. Chris has not been well recently. No, which, upper uh, respiratory infections are not fun. Fun, yeah. Not uh, not a good time of year to get sick either, in my experience. It's like the only time of year I get sick. It's like yeah. always Christmas. I always get sick for Christmas. Yeah, I, I had a few years where I got really bad flu around this time of year, and it's just the worst time of year, because it's already a depressing time of year with the weather and the temperature, and just being stuck in bed with aches and pains, and not being able to move, and not, and even, having the, not even having the energy to play video games. And know. there's tasty treats everywhere, and you can't taste them fully. I know. Oh, don't talk to me about tasty treats. The wife and I have just started dieting again, so you know, tasty treats are mostly off the table anyway. But no, uh, uh, it'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Right. So uh, we're going to follow our usual three-part format today. We're going to be talk a bit about a bit of news first of all, and since it's been about three weeks or so since we we last got together and talked about stuff, there's a fair bit of stuff to talk about. So some of these stories will be a few weeks old by the time, but we still wanted to talk about them anyway because uh, there's some interesting stuff to cover. Uh, then we'll be moving on to what we've been playing recently, which is probably mostly going to be a discussion of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate today, since that's been occupying both of our respective free time a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And then our final segment for today will be our topic-based discussion, which today we're going to be talking a bit about 3D mascot platformers throughout the ages. So, uh, let's kick off with some news. What did you want to start with? Uh, I'm just going to uh, cherry-pick some little short things, but okay. um, wow, we really do have a lot of stuff piled up here. <laughs> um, having trouble even figuring out where to start. Oh, um, SNK Heroines. We're getting uh, John from um, World Heroes was announced, so that's yep. pretty cool. Um, World Heroes kind of tends to get ignored in the greater discussion of SNK fighters, so not a huge piece of news, but I just thought it was really cool because, um, you know, she's a neat character, and World Heroes has some really goofy, occasionally culturally offensive character designs, but it's, <laughs> but it, but, but it's awesome to see the series get acknowledged in the greater lexicon of SNK history, so neat. Yeah. Alrighty. If you hear any strange wearing in the background, by the way, my wife's making soup, so uh, apologies if you can hear that. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, other stuff happening. What have we got? Um, interesting little snippet. Not a lot to say about it, but uh, I was interested to see that uh, Sunoco has actually left uh, Idea Factory and Compile Heart to work yes. freelance. Um, she is still going to be working with them, though, so presumably it's just um, a matter of personal circumstances. It works out better for her to work on a freelance basis rather than be employed. So um, not a lot to say about that, but it was it was just interesting to highlight. That also means that theoretically it would open her up to doing stuff with some other companies as well, which would uh, would be nice. See, uh, mm-hmm. see some other companies have the opportunity to use her distinctive art style. 
Um, other little snippets. Uh, Axis Games have opened a European online store, uh, which is very exciting because uh, up until now, Axis Games have either been digital only, reliant on um, sort of third-party distributors, uh, or you have to import them. So actually having a, a proper European store for their stuff is really nice because it means we can get our hands on uh, physical editions of their games and also nice limited editions as well. So I've ordered a copy of Deathmark for Switch, which looks like a really interesting uh, sort of visual novel adventure game dungeon crawler hybrid. So I'm looking forward to giving that a try. I think that's not out until February over here in Europe. It's already out in the States, um, but it's not out here yet. So I'm looking forward to taking a look at that in the future. I may save that one for, for Halloween next year every time someone mentions death mark i get excited because i think they're talking about that new into creates game which is dragon marked for death <laughs> and then which I get... also looks fabulous to be fair there's, there's yes. been some more some more trailers and bits and pieces of those and that is looking lovely so um yeah looking forward to that one um other stuff uh netflix is expanding its anime lineup uh with it, probably its most notable addition being the fact it's getting neon genesis evangelion Uh, which I'm pretty excited about because I I started watching this on DVD um, probably in university, so this is probably about 15 years ago now, um, until I realised that collecting all the DVDs was going to be prohibitively expensive for a student such as myself at the time, so I I stopped after like two DVDs worth. But I I was intrigued by what I watched, and I've I've never had a chance to catch up with it since, so having it ready to go on Netflix will be very welcome indeed it is it is from a standpoint of anime history one of the bigs yes right it's like astro boy and an ava yeah basic basically i mean just the cultural impact of ava and and then also studio gynax and i mean the people who were responsible for ava eventually are now the people at uh, founding trigger uh, yeah. who, who are continuing to do some of the best work in the industry uh, i've never seen ava which is a black mark on my anime fan oh that's re- report report card i know because i'm also a giant robot anime fan specifically like that's my genre and i've just i just never had an opportunity to see it yeah so i'm super excited about this i'm gonna binge the hell out of it over a weekend that's good all right. Uh, what else have we got for quick also remotely Sunako related? Uh, that new compile heart game for mobile phones sounds pretty cool. Oh yes, um, Mega Miracle Force. Mm-hmm. It's basically Super Compile Heart Wars. It's going to be a strategy game with characters from over seventy titles coming Ooh. to smartphones. So that'll be cool. That'll get your gotcha engines fired up. I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely worth a look. Assuming it comes over here, but um, we uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one, I guess. Fifty-fifty. Yeah, yeah. We get good luck with compile hard stuff in the West. I mean, it's... yeah, pretty good. Uh, I mean, we we haven't seen any of their mobile stuff because they they they've previously done a Neptunia mobile game which didn't do very well. Um, I don't think. Oh, that was Japan. the card game, right? Yeah. So th- that was a while back now, but that that didn't do too well. But it, that was right in the middle of the. The real glut of uh, mobile card battlers when uh, when developers just sort of first cottoned on to the whole gacha mechanic and things. So I think right. that, that came out with poor timing. So um, I mean, I know we're still flooded with hundreds of them now, but I think developers are a bit more comfortable with making them distinct from each other now. Whereas when that came out, it was very much the uh, the sort of Rage of Bahamut model where you collect yeah. cards and then you don't really do very much with them. You just basically have to make sure you have higher numbers than the opponent. Yeah. 
No, that was this appears to be like an actual game. Like yes. It's specifically going to be a strategy RPG, which is cool. Yes, definitely up for that. Uh, other little bits and bobs. Uh, Nintendo has ended its creators program, uh, which sounds like it might be a bad thing. But in fact, what it actually means is that you should no longer be getting copyright strikes when you make uh, Nintendo YouTube videos, which is nice. Um, so they outright state that you can monetize transformative works now, which includes sort of videos about their games, let's plays and all that sort of thing. So anyone who's been all uh, Nintendo and YouTube videos for the last few years can now uh, stop moaning because yeah. it's not it's a, a problem anymore. It's essentially cool. a tacit, a, it's a tacit understanding from Nintendo that they now are understand and will support what is commonly considered fair use policy. Yes. So critical works are you know finally available yeah yeah it's it, it's kind of a shame that it took them so long to catch on to this with with the switch already being a big success because I, I wonder how different like the wii u landscape would have been made for example if uh, if they sort of hadn't had this 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 policy in place while that console was out there i mean it, it probably wouldn't have have saved the console or anything like that but it, it might have had a bit more of an impact if uh, a few more people could get those games out there and uh, be getting paid for the the creative works that they were doing with them so but a, you know it's a new world it's a hip, better late than it's ever. a hip cool nintendo yes hip cool yes. open-minded nintendo i don't yeah. know yeah, what's I, going I, on. I like new Nintendo. I'm I'm a big fan of, of what they've been doing so far. So yeah, and they have a real opportunity here with uh, with Sony being whatever they are at the minute. So um, yeah, so good to see. Uh, other little bits and bobs. Uh, a little piece of retro gaming news. If you ever played the Ultimate Underworld games, um, which are sort of two of the defining first-person dungeon crawlers that went beyond grid-based movement. So Ultima Underworld 1 and 2 were sort of the first true 3D dungeon crawlers that would go on to inspire stuff like um, things like Elder Scrolls and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There is now a full Unity-based port of Ultima Underworld 1 and 2 uh, that has been developed by someone on uh, GitHub. Uh, so it basically uses the the maps and assets from Underworld, but ports it into a modern engine, which means that you don't have to use the horrendous control scheme that the original used. Um, <laughs> and so it's actually playable. Who'd have thought it? Um, so that's very exciting if you've ever wanted to revisit those games but couldn't face the horror of the mouse-based movement um, of those original ones. All right. Um, any stories you particularly want to get your teeth into? Uh, it's just one of those like spans of like little little stuff, right? So like, uh, Bloodstained, the mm-hmm. new Castlevania like from oh yes yes from Koji Garashi. Um, they have announced now that Way Forward has come on board to help complete development yes. of the game, which is super exciting because we love Way Forward. Um, that's a that's a real dream team now because they've got yes. helping out as well, haven't they? So yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> if there was ever a recipe for a great side scroller, like we're we're facing it right now. Yes. Koji Garashi directing with Into Creates and Way Forward on support. Like this could this could be excellent. I mean I hate to get like so excited for like a Kickstarter game because we've been burned in the past, but this is <laughs> All all signs are pointing to this being quite wonderful, and the demos have been really good yes. so far. So I'm I'm daring to be optimistic. 
Yes, yes, very much looking forward to this. I've been quite hungry for some traditional Castlevania recently for some reason. And yeah, I can't I've, imagine why. Well, yeah, you know. But um, <laughs> I, I, one of the things that, that my mind just keeps coming back to, though, is just with, with what Capcom's been doing with Mega Man, why the hell hasn't Konami done a classic Castlevania collection? Yeah, that's kind of we kind of talked about that a while ago, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I hope. I hope that they kind of realize... I mean, they're primed, right? Like the popularity of the animated series, yeah, is undeniable. Everybody loves the animated series. The, you know, the the launch of the the Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood collection, mm-hmm. yeah. And now them understanding their history enough and getting involved with Smash Brothers, yeah. Like it feels like someone at Konami kind of knows what the hell is going on, and, yeah. and may and maybe we're gonna start seeing a little bit of Castlevania in our lives again. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I liked the I liked the Lords of Shadow games. Yes, yes. like I'm I'm on you know I'm one of those people who defend the hell out of those games, and I'm always on Twitter like tweeting at at a Konami to like, hey, you know, it would be great a uh, complete collection remaster for the <laughs> PS4 with all the DLC. All yes. three games, all DLC on the PS4. I would love yes. that. Yes, that would be great. But yeah, it, it just surprises me that they've not done a 2D collection up until now. Because surely that would that would be a money maker for them. Surely, surely. Yeah. And, so the Switch uh, is certainly primed to be a, a place for something like that to drop. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Switch is Switch is an ideal place for that kind of games. I, I mean, I know we say that a lot because of the whole handheld thing and so on, but. Switch seems to be doing particularly well with sort of retro style games and that kind of thing. There seems to be a good audience for them. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that partly might be a side effect of, of the sort of previous Nintendo family friendly thing with with maybe slightly older people picking up Switches and stuff as well and having yeah. that nostalgia for those older games. But it seems that um, companies like uh, Hamster and so on have been doing quite well with their arcade archives and Neo Geo titles on there as well. We've had the SNK collection recently, which has been pretty well received. Uh, Atari's just put out uh, a massive collection of Atari 2600 games for it, uh, which it compiles all three of the flashback classics compilations that were previously released on PS4 and Xbox One. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a real, a real good market for retro games on there. So. Um, yeah, make it happen, Konami. As if you're listening, <laughs> you never. Oh, know. they are. Oh, yeah. they are. Of course they are. Of course they are. Um, talking to Neo Geo, did you see Twinkle Star Sprites is out on the Switch now? Oh, is it really? That's yes. a great game. Yes, that's a yes. really great game. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, if if you've uh, if you've wanted to play that on the go, now you can. Um, so that's nice. Like the other um, sort of ACA archives games, it's about I think six pound ninety nine. So probably i don't know seven or eight dollars in the states uh well worth it very unusual shoot em up with some really interesting mechanics yeah it's basically um, a drop puzzler fused with a shoot em up which yeah. is a really crazy combination and such fun for multiplayer competitive yeah yeah so that's good uh what else have we got uh apparently we are getting a remake of panzer dragoon one and zwei um, from a company called Forever Entertainment. Um, so I don't think anything else has been announced about this since uh, they, they announced that they're working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Forever Entertainment is a company who seems to... 
their, their, their back catalogue seems to mostly be um, sort of smaller indie games. I'm not sure how many of them are mobile titles, but a lot of them look like they might be mobile titles. Uh, but they also did uh, Fear Effect Sedna recently, which was the, the brand new Fear Effect game that sort of snuck out quietly um, a few months back. That was a sort of, um, rather than a, a fixed camera angle survival horror like the original ones, uh, this one was more of a sort of isometric action puzzler, I believe. Mm. Um, it looked like quite an interesting game. I haven't played it yet, but um, yeah, it was it was really interesting to suddenly see uh, Fear Effect being vaguely relevant again. So I'll be interested to see how they get on with uh, Panzer Dragoon. Um, well, as long as it doesn't become an isometric puzzle action <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure it might. Uh, wait, I mean they've they've specifically said these are remakes of the original, so yeah. uh, they're, they're going to be. It's it's not just an upscaled version of the original. They're going to be completely redoing the graphics, uh, yeah. and apparently making several modifications to the game, making it more attractive to modern players while remaining faithful to the original in terms of story. What so I'm, I'm hoping I, that means is that they're tacking RPG elements onto it. Maybe <laughs> like maybe like collectible weapons or yeah. or or like stuff that levels up like something to really put your hooks in because let's face it like I want to do an episode in the future for us where we we do on rails 3D shooters like uh-huh. Panzer style I think that's right for us to talk about yeah um but one thing I think we can agree on that is not attractive to modern gamers in that genre is it's it's as we talked about with light gun games it's just that arcade experience you yeah. sit down to play Panzer Panzer is always Panzer. It, the levels are always the levels. You sit down, it's 45 minutes out of your life, done and done. Yeah. The yeah. only replay value is score-based. Yeah. Can I do a perfect run? Can I improve my score? So, I mean, that's not particularly attractive to modern audiences. Mm-hmm. Like, And one way that a lot of developers will make things more attractive to modern audiences and introduce replay value is through some light RPG elements or collectible items or... Yes, Yes, it's either that you take the Darius Burst approach and put 6,000 levels in your game. Yes. (laughs) It's also a very good approach. Yes, yes. I love that game. That is an excellent game. Uh, All right, Uh, what else we got? There is a new trailer for Dead or Alive Extreme 3 Scarlet, which demonstrates the new soft 4D and VR Paradise features. So uh, we talked briefly about this the other week. So um, there's going to be two versions of this this new release of Dead or Alive Extreme 3. The PlayStation 4 version will have VR support, but has Sony getting its dirty paws all over it, so ripping out some of the content because boobs. Um, and the Switch version has this soft 4D function, which apparently makes uh, creative use of the uh, HD rumble in the Joy-Cons for you to enjoy in various ways. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there is a new trailer about that now, if uh, you want to check that out. Um, there is going to be a new Mamote Knight game as well. Yes. Uh, from Ancient Games. If you're not familiar with this, uh, this is a game that I first encountered completely by chance on the Xbox Live indie games thing that no longer exists. Um, but uh, yeah, this this was um, localized over here as Protect Me Knight, which is sort of a, a rough a rough translation of the uh, the Japanese title. And uh, how would you describe it? I guess it's it's sort of a um, a multiplayer 
it's kind of tower defensey in some ways, isn't it? In that you've got a, a, a thing to defend. In, in the case yeah. of the original, it's a princess. Uh, but you have up to four players. Uh, you can move around a, a static screen. There's enemies coming in from all sides, and you make use of your character's various abilities to uh, hack and slash them away. But the interesting twist is it's presented as um, a sort of really authentic-looking NES style, so making use of very low-resolution pixel art, a very limited color palette that looks very true to the NES. Um, sort of the, the the only thing that really tips you off is that it isn't an NES is the fact that it's throwing way more stuff on the screen than the NES would ever be able to handle mm-hmm. without melting. Yeah. So. Way more colors, way more yeah. sprites. Yeah. Um, Which is so, my favorite. When yeah. something has the NES style, but modern uh, performance standards, it's like the best. Yeah. So the new game is called uh, Susume Mamote Night Himi no Totsugeki Serenade, uh, which will be launching in 2019 in Japan. Um, so it is offline and online. The previous ones were offline only, I believe. I'm not sure about the 3DS one, if you could play that online. Uh, but yeah, cer- I don't know. Yeah. Certainly the, the original Xbox one you could only play offline. Uh, there are eight types of characters now. Um you can set down barricades uh you, you've got a, a castle to defend as well as the princess in the middle um so it, it looks like just sort of an evolution of the original game so it's got that same gorgeous graphical style music by Yuzo koshiro again because ancient games is is his his jam um and yes. yeah it's looking pretty lovely so hopefully that will come west and hopefully if it comes west it will come to europe this time because the 3ds version didn't come to europe which i'm very oh upset you guys about. didn't get god of protectors no i'm very upset about that my dream is a, a physical copy with god of protectors and the new one oh, together that, that on one great. like for the switch like and there there's been talk of a switch port of god of protectors mm-hmm. so that would be delightful yes yes that would be pretty lovely Okay, um, what else would you like to talk about? Do you want to say some words about the new Grand Blue news? Yeah, sure. So I don't really know anything about Grand Blue Fantasy except because I don't really dabble with mobile. But it's in the in the wide world of mobile, it's one of the mobile games that actually interests me because there's good development pedigree involved with it, beautiful mm-hmm. character design. Yeah. So um, we've got some new developments. Um, most notably, uh, Arc System Works has announced uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Um, so they're going to be doing a new fighting game based on the Grand Blue Fantasy universe um, using that beautiful technique that they've been using for Dragon Ball Fighters, the new Guilty Gear, and um, Blaze Blue, which is that they do the 3D models and then they draw the 2D over them. So. Yeah. Um, this game just looks beautiful. Now, I don't know anything about the characters because I haven't played the mobile game, but I mean, it just looks to me like a beautiful, brightly colored anime fighting game with a fantasy setting with some really cool character designs. So, yeah. um, whether or not you're a Grand Blue Fantasy fan or not, um, this is a really cool looking fighter worth keeping your eye open for. Yeah. Well, the, the big strength of Grand Blue um, is that it, it's, it, like you say, it's got the, it's got the really nice character designs, but it's also got. Uh, really strong characterization and narrative to it as well so mm-hmm. these these characters who look set to be involved in the game are all really well established in the context of the mobile game at this point so they've got lots of background lore they've got established personalities um and it's looking very much like um 
their incarnations in the fighting game are very true to um, how they how they behave and how they play in mm-hmm. the mobile game as well, which is going to make a lot of people happy. But they're also very distinctive designs that even if you're not familiar with the mobile game in the first place, you can still get something out of them because they, they just look great. They're just really cool characters. Um, yeah. And it looks like they've they've got a lot of fan favourites in there. So there's there's sort of the basic cast. So there's, there's Gran, who is the player protagonist. Uh, there's Catalina, who um, is it's sort of the, the character you get first and follows along with you for most of the game. Um, it looks like Lyria's involved. She's sort of your. Um, she's she's a, a non-combatant in the game, uh, although I think you, there is a way of recruiting her in special events and certain things like that. Uh, there's Charlotta, who's one of the. Um, I can't remember what the race is called, but they're sort of the the Grand Blue equivalent of like the Lalafells from Final Fantasy and um, uh, Taru Taru from Final Fantasy Eleven. So they're they're short sort of short cute characters um and she's uh, a sort of princessy character from that she's been a lot involved in a lot of story events and so on and then there's a few others i don't recognize because i haven't played the game for a while but there's um it, yeah it certainly looks like there's some fan favorites in there and they've been realized really nicely on the uh the fighting game screen uh, the art style for the actual fighting looks like um an interesting sort of hybrid between um how the fighters are presented in the mobile game which is as, as sort of chibi versions of themselves they're 2d chibi versions um and their their sort of full-size artwork um so there's there's kind of a distinctive style to them that's slightly different from their um, their static art, but it, it, it gives the whole game a really distinctive look and feel. So yeah, this is looking really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it also seems that uh, alongside that as well, that they've uh, they've confirmed that um, whatever the other Grand Blue game was called, um, Relink, Relink or whatever that that is that is still happening. That's still a thing as well, and that's still looking lovely as well. So if one on one fighters aren't your thing, there's also going to be an action game to enjoy as well. So. Which is being developed by Platinum. Yes. Let us not, let us not forget. Yes. It is super beautiful. Yes. So, uh, good time to be a Grand Blue fan. Um, it's also, also worth noting that if you're not familiar with Grand Blue and you don't want to play the mobile game, but you do want to get a feel for the story and the characters, there's apparently quite a good anime adaptation as well. Oh, uh, I, I haven't I haven't watched that, but it's it's apparently quite good. So um, that's that's worth taking a look at if you don't want to engage with the with the actual mobile game. Yeah, I'm just so excited because, like I said, I've, I've I do care about this. I do care about Grand Blue as like a cultural phenomenon. I just yeah. don't yeah. care for the mobile games. So now I'm finally. I didn't realize that there was a decent anime out there, but th- these games are going to give me a way to engage with this setting. Yeah, in a way, in a way that is fun for me. So I'm really excited about finally having that opportunity. Yeah. So that's really cool. So yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Uh, right. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, not really. I mean, the time has probably passed for it, but I thought that um, that survey that NIS set out, Nipponichi, a little while ago was really interesting. Oh, yes. That is actually still um, running until the end of December. So hopefully, oh, if, I that's get great. This, if I get this edited in time, uh, you should still be able to jump in on that. It was by um, Nisa in Europe. Uh, I don't know if the American branch did a similar one. but the Yeah, they did. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, they they did a survey uh, that was basically asking the experiences that you enjoyed in the last year, what you'd like to see more of, and that kind of thing. So, um, so there's questions like what what pl- the usual sort of what platforms do you play and what genres do you enjoy, uh, and there were also, if I remember correctly, there were some questions about um, sort of established series breaking out into new genres as well, weren't there? 
Yeah, they, they was a specifically a question like like if you were to get a new Disgaea game in a in a genre that wasn't the typical strategy RPG, like what kind of Disgaea games would you like to see? Yes, which I thought was awesome because yeah. I mean, Prinny was great, the side scroller mm-hmm. for the PSP. Yeah, yeah, they, they I think they did a, a visual novel as well at one point. I can't remember what that was called, but there was um yeah, there was definitely a Disgaea visual novel as well. Um, so they've they've experimented with this in the past. Um, but yeah, again, having these established franchises and breaking them out into other genres is a really great way of getting more people on board if they, for example, like the characters but don't enjoy strategy mm-hmm. RPG gameplay or whatever. So yeah, this, uh, it, several Japanese devs seem to be cottoning onto this now, which is which is great because it means... I think that- I voted for an action RPG. I think that's what I voted for. Yeah, yeah, that would, like that a- would be good. Um, that would be neat. Yeah, perhaps sort of combining that with some of the... Uh, the roguelike stuff that they've done in the past as well might be interesting because they did yeah, uh, yeah. things like ZHP and Guided Fate Paradox and so on. Combine that with a, a sort of actual real-time element, that could be quite interesting. But yeah, go uh, go check that out if uh, if you're interested in finding out more. Uh, if you just check Nisa's Twitter, there's probably some links to it. And like I said, that mm. should be running until the end of December. So by the time you hear this, there will hopefully still be some time to make your voice heard. I think for me, the most important thing about the survey was also when they were like, what are some of our older franchises that you'd like to see return? And oh, there yes. was specifically a checklist, and there was some good stuff in there. Yes. Like stuff I haven't heard people mention in a long time. So, I mean, this is going deep back into PS2 era NIS. Like, this is the good stuff, right? So they mentioned Makai Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They mentioned Phantom Brave. Yep. They mentioned... um my favorite soul nomad versus the world eaters which nobody remembers that game but it's goddamn incredible Uh um and they were like hey check which of these you'd like to see return so please go on there and vote for soul nomad so we can get a new (laughs) soul nomad game because seriously that game is incredible and you should look it up on youtube and play it because it's great excellent all right, uh, so let's cut that segment short there, and then we'll come back in just a moment, and we'll talk about, well, mostly Smash, to be perfectly honest. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. So, now we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. What have you mm-hmm. been playing recently, Chris? Well, before we dive into the obvious, I just want to <laughs> give a quick nod to Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom. Mm. Because I have been waiting for this game for a very long time, and it actually turns out to be wonderful. Excellent. Um, so, Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom was a Kickstarter-led um, development from Game Atelier, who back in the day made um, cute some cute little mini games for the PSP minis mm-hmm. campaign. They were most known for Flying Hamster, which was an adorable little horizontal shoot 'em up. Yeah. Um, so um, they originally kickstarted a game that was going to be part of the Flying Hamster universe because <laughs> apparently it deserves its own universe. <laughs> that was going to be a tribute to the the old Wonder Boy games, which if previous listeners will know i'm obsessed with the wonder boy franchise mm-hmm. um so basically what ended up happening was a lot of people 
really liked this the look of this Kickstarter and were really keen on the idea of um, a Wonder Boy tribute game. And um, the actual creator of Wonder Boy, Ryuchi Nishizawa, actually saw this campaign and contacted the uh, the people over at Game Atelier, and it matured into an actual full blown Wonder Boy sequel. Nice. So, um, Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom is genuinely speaking, um, like an actual new entry in the monster world lexicon. It is. Yes. So they took out your note. Your note. You were originally going to be like a little hamster dude, but now you're actually like a, a a kid with cute spiky anime hair. The monster transformations are back from uh, Dragon's Trap from Dragon's Trap style game, which mm-hmm. um, hasn't happened in the past couple of Mon- uh, Wonder Boy games. So it's kind of yeah. bringing bringing back that style. Um, and Nishizawa was involved, and it's full of little tributes. Um, I know I posted on Twitter a little while back, but when you find the, the main town, um, the church has stained glass windows, and um, each of the stained glass windows is the, hero, is the hero from a previous Wonder Boy title. Oh, nice. So it's, it's full of little nods like that. Um, you know, early in the game, you meet the Papalogu, which is the cute little squishy monster that follows you around in the last Mon- uh, Wonder Boy game for the Genesis. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty great. Um, it plays crisp. Um, it's got beautiful hand animated style. Um, it's just absolutely worth every penny. It's it's everything it was meant to be and more. It's a proper Wonder Boy game in 2018, and it's, it's great. Oh, that's great. Why isn't it called Wonder Boy? Does someone else own the trademark to that or something then? Yeah, so like Wonder Boy is technically owned by Sega. Right. Um, so I don't know the legalese and all the details, but like Sega was in some way, shape, or form supportive of this. Right. Because when you boot it up, you, th- there isn't like a Sega logo. It doesn't come up. Like it's not Sega developed or Sega published. But if you look in like, you know, like the fine print on the bottom of the title screen, like Sega's there. Oh, okay. So like they gave some kind of like tacit approval for maybe like the tribute stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I don't, I don't really know why it's not technically a full fledged Wonder Boy title, but it definitely is because it, it acknowledges that the other, the other Wonder Boy games exist. Yeah. In its narrative, well, I, I mean, I, th- I think calling it Monster Boy is sort of similar enough that people will probably figure that out anyway. As an aside, did you know that the Switch version of that Sega Classics pack that came out a while ago does not have the two Wonder Boy games in it? Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I didn't sell my PS4 copy and rebuy the Switch one like I was planning. <laughs> well, yeah, there we go. Just a bit of public information for you there. No one seems to know why they've been taken out of the Switch version, uh, but no, they're they're not there. Oh, bear that in mind. Bear that in mind. That is a shame. Um, Because, I mean, that whole package would be great for playing on the go on the Switch and the the Wonderful games, especially. Um, Yeah, so for them to not be there is a a bit of a shame, really. But uh, there you have it. Huh. All right. Uh, Other stuff I've been playing. I I won't spend too much time on this. Uh, The the main other thing I've been playing is uh, Telia Rorona DX for Switch, uh, which I'm going to be making the first cover game feature on Moe Gamer for the new year, along with its two sequels. Uh, So watch out for that then. Um, But suffice to say for now that the Switch port, it's uh, it's a good port. Um, It's it's got all of the DLC from the PS3 and Vita versions. Uh, it loads a fair bit quicker. Uh, some people have been a bit pissy about the frame rate being 30 frames a second rather than 60 frames a second, but it's a turn-based RPG about crafting, yeah. so who gives Get a shit? Get over it. Um, 
<laughs> and it, it it looks lovely. It's got their distinctive Melchizedek art style to it. Um, Atelier Rorina Plus, uh, which was the re-release of Atelier Rorina, upgraded all the character models so that they look much more like the 2D art. It's got lovely gust music. Um, one of the nice things that they added in Atelier Rorina Plus and is still present in DX is uh, the fact that it comes bundled with a whole bunch of additional music from older Gust games and, and some of the newer ones, in fact. So you can reassign the music for things like the workshop, wandering around the town, getting into battles and stuff, or whatever you want from everything from the really early Atelier games right up until things like uh, Atelier Shally and Liddy and Suell and that sort of thing, along with some of the rearranged albums that Gust have put out over the years as well. So if you really want to customise your experience with some additional music, you can do. So um, I'm probably about halfway through Roriner at the minute, so I will have that finished by the time of the new year, and then it will finally be time for me to play uh, Totori and Meruru, which I've been meaning to play for literally years now, and have somehow never got around to. So this is the perfect excuse to. So um, that's what I've been up to. So other than that, it has been Smash. Lots of mm-hmm. Smash. So... Um, well, where, where do you want to begin? <laughs> I, I don't even know, really know what to talk about in the context mm. of Smash. I mean, it's it's great. Um, it's full of delightful surprises at every turn. Um, even just, you know, I've been engaging primarily with the classic mode. Um, as, yes. Because it's kind of the most efficient way to unlock characters. Um, and even within the classic mode, it's kind of crazy because... The, um, you know, generally speaking, a classic mode's always kind of been just an arcade experience. Just, you know, you face a couple challenge levels followed by a boss, which is usually Master Hand or Crazy Hand, and then it's over. But, um, many of the experiences for the classic mode are really just custom built for each character in yes. ways that are kind of surprising to me. Yes, well, they've they've built a, a specific route for each character, which includes uh, specific characters for them to fight, uh, often specific color variations on a theme as well. Um, you, you have the same bonus level with everyone, and then there's, I think, like five or six different bosses that the whole thing can conclude with, depending on the character. Um, and so, yeah, so, so, so they, they have built a specific classic mode experience for each and every one of those characters in smash ultimate and there are a lot of characters in smash ultimate uh, <laughs> as has been yeah. a key part of the marketing up until now so um and and they don't just uh, sort of choose which characters you're fighting as well so for example if you are um doing ryu's route all of his classic mode fights are stamina battles because that's more like street fighter oh that's so cool yeah um and yeah and then there's there's just the wonderfully the wonderfully surreal sight of Pac-Man fighting Dracula or uh, Yoshi oh, fighting is that fighting the boss Rathalos. of the Pac-Man route? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pac-Man That's fights cr- Dracula and uh, Yoshi fights Rathalos uh, from Monster Hunter. <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that, that, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time on that as well to try and unlock characters. So I've been, ha- been having fun with that. Uh, I also enjoy the, uh, the 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 shoot 'em up in the credit sequence as well. Smash has always had some sort of interactive credit sequence, but this has uh, a fun little shoot 'em up where you're you're blasting down the 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 names of the people who worked on the game, and the more points you score in that, the more rewards you get after you finish classic mode. So uh, that's good. Um, 
I enjoyed stuff. it like the first 10 times. Now I just skip it. Yes, yes. Yeah, thankfully you can skip it. So if you don't feel the need to to get those five items, which to be honest, you can you can get pretty easily anyway. Yeah, you can skip over that without uh, without any real penalty. Um yeah, so other stuff. Uh the the big single player mode that's been added is the adventure mode, the World of Light. Uh this has been sort of the the hyped up thing for it. And uh I I found this really interesting so far. I engaged with it a fair bit when I first got the game uh before um, I decided I, I wanted to try and unlock the characters so that if a multiplayer session did come up, uh, I've been trying in vain to get my local <laughs> friends to play for the last uh, last week or so. But um, yeah, I wanted to prioritize unlocking all the characters, which I've now done so I can go back to World of Light and, and enjoy it a bit more. Um, World of Light is really interesting in that it's it kind of takes a similar approach to the Mario Tennis Aces adventure mode in that it's clearly designed to train you to play the game better. Um, yes. In that it, it presents you with a series of very specific challenges um, and, and, and tasks you with with finding a way through them, or finding a way to deal with them. So uh, in the case of Smash, you will do things like you'll face enemies who it, it says they favor specific attacks, and that means that that is all they fucking do for the whole fight. Um, <laughs> and so that that is training for when you come across a player who is very fond of spamming a particular attack, for example. So if you have someone who's very fond of using projectile attacks, you, you get in some practice against a spirit who favors neutral specials and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's quite an interesting approach. There's um, again, like you talked about with the classic mode, there's a really nice way of linking the 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 actual context of the fight and the characters with the spirit they're supposed to be representing. So, for example, there was a fight uh, I did last night that was uh, against the spirit of um, I forget his name, but there's there's like a tiny bug thing from Earthbound that's literally like two pixels on the screen, and the the spirit was this bug. And the fighter that I was fighting was a super tiny Mr. Game & Watch who started at 300% damage. So all you had to do to win the fight was just slap him once. Oh. <laughs> and it's brilliant. Um, but then it's uh, it's it's doing, doing all sorts of other things. Like um, sort of... Um, there's a... One of the things it does is as you progress around the map and open up different areas of it... You'll find uh, these transporters that take you to these little mini dungeons, and the little mini dungeons are all themed in various ways. Um, and there is there is one you get into, and it just takes you onto a map of Earth, um, and it's Street Fighter Two. <laughs> oh, so, that's so cool! I haven't so, I haven't done any of these yet. I, yeah. I didn't play World of Light much. Yeah. So, so it's got the Street Fighter 2 character select music in the background. You're going from route to route around the globe. Um, and you are fighting, like, spirits that are all of the original Street Fighter 2 cast. Um, and oh, so, so, like, you'll, you'll fight Blanca, and it's, it's a green Donkey Kong, for example. Um, and, uh, the, like, the final challenge is uh, the M. Bison um, spirit. And I think it was uh, Ganondorf playing him. But, uh, okay. Um, and he's 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 a spirit who is like significantly higher power than you could possibly get in your team at that point. So just like M Bison was really difficult to defeat in Arcade Street Fighter Two, he is an absolute nightmare to fight against in Smash as well. And uh, similar to how uh, Ryu's classic mode fight is um, classic mode is handled, all of these fights are all stamina mode battles as well. So mm. um, yeah, so that's really cool. Elsewhere there was like a um, a sort of lava themed one that was obviously supposed to be 
like a, a Mario castle. And that ended with the boss fight against Giga Bowser at the end of it. So there's, there's all sorts of little things like that. So so it, it might initially look like you're just going around a map and doing different fights. But then there's all this hidden stuff unlocks as you go around the place. So it's well worth exploring. Um, there's a lot to do. It's not something you have to engage with if you want to. Um, you, you can ignore it completely and still get a ton out of the game. Because um, there's plenty of other modes to do. But in terms of sort of a, a long-term challenge for it, there's yeah, there's a ton there that's uh, a lot to enjoy. Um, so you've been enjoying some of the other single-play modes, haven't you? You've been playing a bit of the Spirits board? Yeah, yeah, I've liked the Spirit board quite a lot because um, I like collecting the spirits, obviously, <laughs> because I just squeal like a freaking baby whenever I get like a cool... Like I got the main character from Last Story the other day and I oh, lost yes. my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I got some cool pirate lady from Wario, from the old Wario adventure games that I forget yes. her name, but it's awesome. She's like, it's amazing the character. Like I got Meryl from Metal Gear. Yeah, uh, it's just every time it's a delightful surprise. And um, what I like about the Spirit Board is it's kind of everything you were just mentioning that was fun about the World of Light. You still get those custom tailored spirit battles with the unique yes. mechanical hooks, but you don't really have to like engage with the, the like the running around the map like so if, if if you like me like spirit the world of light is something where like oh good i've got a half hour to an hour i'm gonna sit down and really engage with this game like then i would yeah. play world of light but like spirit boards a quick and easy way if you want to get something if you want to play something that's a little more mechanically weird than classic mode but mm -hmm. you don't quite want to dive into the world of light then the spirit mode the spirit board's awesome yes yes definitely definitely I, I really like how there's a few little subtle jokes in terms of the the spirits and their abilities as well. Have you have you seen the one of the girl from Metal Gear Solid Five Ground Zeroes? No. Um, have, have you played Ground Zeroes? Are you familiar uh, with the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's there's the character Paz in that who um, has a, a, a bomb somewhere you shouldn't have a bomb, um, and her spirit is that you start the batch with a bomb bomb equipped. <laughs> oh man that's yeah like you know we had mentioned before that like really what's amazing about smash is it's no longer just a celebration of nintendo history it's a celebration of video game history yeah absolutely and, and it's, it's little nods like that that really tell you that the people in, at um the people at namco and nintendo who are making this game they they don't just know their Nintendo history. They yeah. love video games. They love the medium, and they love everything. It's so much fun to, to examine these spirit battles and try to think about the ways that they've engineered these fights to pay tribute to these characters using the mechanical scope of Smash. Yeah. And yeah. it really points out how versatile a game Smash has been engineered to be from the ground up. Mm -hmm. that they can do this that they can make you have a fight that feels like it's paying tribute to an um, obscure character from one of the castlevania ds games from 12 years ago yeah yeah it's yeah. just unbelievable to me yeah no it's 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 fantastic i've i've been really enjoying that side of things so far i i, I haven't even touched uh like online or uh, local multiplayer as yet but i'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun it seems like one of the most customizable smashes that there's been as well i know it, it, smash has always been very customizable but um 
this one seems to have a real wealth of options to enjoy i really like the idea of this stage morph thing it can do now as well so when you're playing a multiplayer batch you can have it morph between stages in mid-fight oh cool um, which uh, which sounds really cool um so i'm, I'm looking forward to giving that a go because um you know i don't want to play on battlefield and final destination all the time because you know there's no. all these interesting stages so why wouldn't yeah you? there's like a hundred um, plus stages like it's amazing yes they're all and, interesting yes and they all have so much music as well apart from the final fantasy 7 one which has two um but <laughs> aside from that all the other stages have a massive selection of music to choose from as well so like the the castlevania stage for example has got so many awesome remixes of castlevania themes from over the years it's got stuff from um like the psp version stuff from symphony of the night it's got um the lament of innocence theme all sorts it's got so many good pieces of music uh, have you mi- heard about the uh like the easter egg for alucard that's hidden no okay so if you are playing as pit on the on one of the stages that is um a kid icarus stage yeah if, if you press the down taunt instead of doing the normal taunt pit will pray to palutena and then you'll get a dialogue oh yes just like, yes. Just like you did in the kid icarus game for 3ds yes and like yeah. one of the dialogues i think if you're playing against one of the castlevania characters like you get like pit has a dialogue with alucard <laughs> and it's the same voice actor who did alucard in the ps1 original like they oh. actually got they got him oh it's voiced as well yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I I knew about the the Palatina um, dialogue things because they introduced that in Smash Four, um, but yeah, I, I I've actually not actually tried those for myself and seen them yet. So yeah, I need yeah. to check those out because uh, I know Snake's got something similar with Codec Conversations as well. So it's uh, going to be worth delving into those and see what yeah. they offer as well. Yeah, I, and it's the actual original voice actor from oh, Symphony of the Night, like the US. Amazing. That's amazing. There was um there was one of the spirit battles i did i think as well that was on the castlevania stage where alucard was there as an assist trophy for the whole fight as well so you were basically fighting alucard um so yeah yeah that's what the dialogue's about like the dialogue's about like pit's sad that alucard's not playable (laughs) (laughs) and and alucard's just like no i'm just here to help richter this time (laughs) Like, like as an assist trophy oh that's amazing yeah no, it is it, it is a really lovingly crafted game. There's just there's just every part of it just seems to be filled with so much love and appreciation for gaming. And like we said, not just Nintendo games. I I, I think I saw earlier today um, uh, there was an interview published with Sakurai that he's he, he he doesn't consider it a Nintendo All Stars game anymore. He just mm-hmm. considers it as as a gaming All Stars game, which is absolutely right. So especially with this latest one with all these. Uh, characters from various sources so like yeah who knows what these other dlc characters are gonna be yeah. like, the, like the mind freaking swims yeah i'm, I'm i mean really... if joker from persona is on the table yeah like who else is on the table yeah i'm really really fascinated to see so i i, I believe the 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 quote he said was that the, the the characters who were coming for dlc would all be from what was the wording? I think it was something like all all characters from series that are new to Smash or something. Yeah, like that. they're so, not. Yeah, my um, my dream character right now is a Jibanyan from Yokai Watch. Oh yes, because I just feel like Yokai Watch has such a strong 
following and like such a tie like so many ties and a history of being part of nintendo systems yeah and um i also think there's not enough like cute doofy little chubby characters Mm -hmm. like like pikachus and the pokemon out there like it's cool it's cool that we're getting stuff like cloud and bayonetta and and joker like like what i would consider like traditional like fighter build characters but like i want more like goofy chubby dumb characters yeah and i that's like i want that roly-poly little cat dude (laughs) <laughs> yeah i know the um the golden sun fans are very keen for isaac to be in there i think he's is he already in there as an assist trophy he's he, yeah there's, there's certainly something to do with isaac in there i think i unlocked a me costume for him as well so but i know the i know the golden sun fans were a bit upset that he didn't um he wasn't announced as one of the initial lineup but uh, i love me some golden sun but like i just i i don't need another sword boy yeah yeah like no, i mean it's already oversaturated with the fire emblem characters like yeah. how diff how much would you be able to distinguish isaac from the fire emblem characters yeah. and i mean within the fire emblem characters we've already got some slightly different handling sword boys as well haven't we so i I, i'd sort of previously written off the fire emblem characters as being the boring ones but i've been playing with them a bit in this version and have have been pleased to see that they're actually all reasonably different from each other but yeah they're great i I think they've they they have probably reached the limit of different things you can do with dude with sword at the minute so yeah um yeah, I, I I mean, while it would be nice for Golden Sun to get some representation and acknowledgements, I'm not sure that's a direction they want to go. But um, we'll see. I mean, like you say, the the mind really boggles with the possibilities. If Joker could be in there, then it can be literally anyone, couldn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So yes, that's all very exciting. Um, yeah. So, any other stuff you want to say about Smash? Not particularly. I mean, just it's a heck of a lot of fun. And just like when we talked about um, Hyrule Warriors Definitive on the mm-hmm. Switch, like we're, what we're talking about here is a game where if you got Smash Brothers for Christmas, you wouldn't have to buy a game in 2019. Yes, yes, yes. There is so much game there. So just World of Light by itself is massive. So if, when you first see the map, you think, oh, it probably won't take that long to get from one end of the map to the other. But then y- you have all these side activities and these little dungeons that you go off into and new mechanics reveal themselves and you find items and characters and spirits and obstacles to get past and that's just one of the game modes and then you've got the spirits mode and there's something like i don't know how many over a thousand spirits in there aren't there to collect and not a microtransaction in sight i might add as well which is lovely when playing this kind of game no no it's so, just your uh it's just your if you want to buy your season pass for your characters your dlc characters and yeah I did it. I broke my taboo. It's the first time I ever bought a season pass. <laughs> yes, I, I will probably be following suit as well. So um, that will be that will be fun to see. Um, and we've got Piranha Plant to look forward to as well. In, I can't wait because yeah. I was just saying I want I, I in Smash I want more doofy, ridiculous, yes. goofy yes. characters that that mechanically you can't even wrap your head around how they're going to play. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I can already figure out how Joker is going to play, right? Yeah. Like, but Piranha Plant, I don't know what the hell that's going to consist <laughs> of. Like, that's what that's what I like in Smash. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I like when characters, um, you know, I, I, I had mentioned you in a conversation earlier in the week how much I never had really engaged with Sonic before. Mm. Yeah. But I was really starting to like him because... He's a great example of one of the things Smash does, which is most interesting to me as a guy who likes to analyze mechanics, is I really like when they take the character 
and then they make the character's move set not just relevant to them as a character, but relevant to the mechanics of the game that they're from. Yes. So, like, in, in discussing the Fire Emblem characters, that's not a big deal, because Fire Emblem's a turn-based game. They can make those characters do whatever they want, as long as it looks like the flourishes look like what the characters do in, mm-hmm. in their animations, yeah. in the clashes, in the turn-based game. But, like, Sonic has his spin dash... His his neutral B attack is the lock on attack from the 3D Sonic games. Yeah, like it's really cool to me to experiment with these unique characters where the way they play in Smash is mechanically tied to the way they would control or handle in the game they're from. Yeah, definitely. Like I was I was playing a bit with the Duck Hunt duo last night, and they're they're quite an interesting set of characters as well because the their neutral special is it will chuck a can onto the screen uh, from the bonus round from Duck Hunt. And pressing neutral special again while the can is on the screen will will have someone fire at it from off screen. So as if there's someone there with a light gun shooting at it. Unbelievable. And if, and if anyone is caught in the blast from that when it when they hit the can, because they always hit the can, if anyone is caught in the blast for that, they they will go flying because they've been shot. <laughs> so yeah. So cool. Yeah, I've never gotten the opportunity to play as them yet. I I did not play the Wii U version very much. Uh-huh. Because um, I got it in a time in my life where I didn't have a big social circle, so there was yeah. I just never played it very much, yeah. and I didn't think the single player components in the Wii U version were very good. No, they were pretty weak. So I never even unlocked the Duck Hunt crew on the Wii U version. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited for this. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's 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 some really really fascinating characters in there, and it's it's the nice thing about Smash is it's really easy to get to know how to use them as well, just because the the control scheme is so simple that anyone can pick up any of these characters and and at least get their moves out. If if not know the best uses of them, anyone can at least get all the moves out. But I also appreciate the acknowledgement of um, things like when you're playing as Ryu and Ken, you can actually do the normal inputs for Fireball and Dragon Punch and stuff, and it will still do them. Mm. Um, so so yeah, stuff like that. So. Yeah, I, I just really appreciate what it's doing because I, I know it's sort of, one, it's it's marketed as a, a sort of party fighting game and two, some people don't take it seriously as a fighting game and so on, but there's a lot of a lot of the really interesting mechanical and tactical stuff from fighting games in there that you can you can learn a lot from playing Smash. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 just a, a mechanically rich, really interesting game. So yeah, I, I'm really pleased with this. Like like you, I, I I played the Wii U version a bit, but came away a bit disappointed with the single-player offering, especially after <laughs> um, Subspace Emissary from Brawl, which I really enjoyed. Sure. Um, and so it's, it, it's nice to have a Smash that I feel like I can enjoy by myself, um, because as much as I would like to play with other people, realistically... Uh, Online, I'm a bit hesitant to jump on board with because I'll, I know I'll probably get destroyed by a lot of people, and so I'd probably only want to play with friends. And locally, it's just such a pain to get people together in the first place anyway. So it's nice to have such a substantial offering for solo players as well, an acknowledgement that some people are going to be picking this up just because it's fun to play with these Nintendo characters, not just not just to play against other people, but just having the opportunity to control any one of these characters and see what they do and their moves and how they react in different situations so yeah i really yeah, appreciate that side of it all right that being said we should get a few matches in when we're done today yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely let's do it so 
Okay, let's uh, let's uh, call time on our smash discussion for there because it's been nearly half an hour now. So, um, and we will come back for our third segment in which we will be talking about today's main topic. So we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. So for our third segment today, we wanted to talk about 3D mascot platformers. Uh, and we wanted to kind of specifically avoid uh, Sonic and Mario because we've already done a Sonic episode and, you know, Mario is sort of the <coughs> de facto thing that people go to when they're talking about mascot platformers. I, I, I always find it mildly frustrating when um, you see someone uh, being interviewed and they're asked what their favourite game is and sort of after... A brief bit of thinking, and they they sort of blurt out Mario sixty four. I mean, I'm not saying Mario sixty four isn't a fantastic game or anything like that, but uh, you know, there's 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 other stuff out there, and it's it's nice to acknowledge those. So, mm-hmm. what we wanted to do today is to talk a little bit more about some of the slightly more, um, as I don't know if I want to say unsung heroes, but lesser sung heroes of the three D mascot platformer genre over the years. Um, so, I mean, uh, Chris, you suggested this in the first place. So, did you have somewhere that you wanted to start with this discussion? Uh, not really. I just had some titles that I like that I wanted to throw mm-hmm. out and have some fun talking about. So, I mean, okay. like you'd mentioned, um, you know, I don't think any discussion about this can be really had seriously without at least mentioning the importance of Mario 64, like the form, yes. like the formative yes. aspects of Mario 64, and how really Nintendo innovated the idea of 3D camera control in Mario 64 that kind of made the boom of 3D platformers possible. Mm-hmm. But there were there were 3D platformers before Mario 64. They were yes. just a little rough around the edges. They didn't have camera control. They didn't have analog control. Um, one of the ones I had written down that I wanted to especially pay some lip service today to um, that I've always been super fond of was Croc. Oh, yes. Did you ever play Croc back no, in the day? No, I never actually, never actually played this. I, I'm, I'm sort of familiar with it in passing, but I, I never actually played it myself. So I, I really like, um, just from an aesthetic standpoint, really early 3D platformers, mm-hmm. where like the stages were just undeniably geometry with some textures yes. applied. Like There's just something about exploring those really primitive, rudimentary 3D spaces that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And um, Croc was a great example of kind of that early platforming. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think the reason that's so appealing is it, it's it's an obvious evolution from two D platformer design, isn't it? Because yeah, most most two D platformers are pretty abstract in terms of how their levels are designed, unless they're specifically going for some sort of uh, attempt to recreate a real world environment. But like if you if you think of um, sort of the the two D platformers of this NES and the Genesis era. Yeah, a lot of those were pretty abstract, and and so the early 3D stuff was was just kind of taking that approach and trying to transplant it into 3D. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good logical string to follow. Um, yeah, like I said, I just, I just find that that visual style so appealing, and um, you know, Croc was rough around the edges, right? Because it was a pre Mario 64 age, and it was mm-hmm. um, tank controls, which was pretty common in yes. old, old platformers. You actually had to rotate the world around you and then only walk forward and backwards. Um, but I, I always found it playable, and I, I really always just liked it. I thought it was cute. The characters were cute. Um, also, Croc has a really interesting history 
Um, I don't know if you're familiar with with no. it, but so Croc was developed by Argonaut, which oh, are yes, the people yeah. who made Star Fox. Yes, for Nintendo, and Croc was actually originally proposed as a Yoshi platformer. It was pitched to it was pitched to Nintendo. Okay, like the Argonaut wanted to make a Yoshi. Yoshi give Yoshi his own game and have a Yoshi plat a Yoshi 3D platformer, and yeah. uh, Nintendo turned the pitch down, mm-hmm. um, and that's where Croc came from. They they just gave they just basically gave Yoshi a little snaggletooth, took the took the shell off his back, and like nope, it's a new character now, <laughs> and then uh, and then that's how Croc was born. So it's cool. So just a little little piece of game history um, for a series I really enjoy. Oh, that's that's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Tank controls in platformers, though that is that is something I found difficult to deal with back in the day, and I, I think I would it would just drive me insane now. I think like I I remember trying to play Tomb Raider and just getting annoyed with the way it controlled. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, I, for I'm, sure, I have difficulty yeah. with Tomb Raider. It never bothered me in Croc, though, and I think one of the reasons why is I actually find full analog control in platformers difficult at times as well. Mm. <coughs> Specifically, the depth of field and stuff when making platform jumps yeah. across chasms and stuff. One yeah. of the reasons I always found it really navigable with Croc was with the tank controls. You basically rotate the controller, they rotate the world around you till the platform you want to jump to is dead center. Yes, and then yes. you can only move forward or backward. Yeah, right. You can't you can't move side to side while in the air also and and and, and queer up that jump. Like it has, yeah. like it, you can only move for. So it's only about the distance game then, not just about side to side. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess you can say the same about Tomb Raider as well because the Tomb Raider was very grid based, mm-hmm. and so once you once you were familiar with how far Lara jumped with each different type of jump so if you knew that she would jump one square forward from a standing jump and she could jump like two squares forward from a running jump um yeah you you could get your head around that quite quickly but that was that was a very different sort of skill to what i was used to using Mm -hmm. in platform games it was um it was a lot closer to things like prince of persia and stuff that i never really got on with in 2d right um and so and so, so sort of making the the switch to the more freeform approach of platform games for me the analog control felt uh, very natural. I, I, I get what you mean with sort of being ha- having difficulties judging distance sometimes, particularly if you're playing an older game that is quite low resolution, when it can be yeah. quite difficult to distinguish things sometimes. But um, no, it's it's not something I've had a huge problem with over the years, and I've always really liked um, that feeling of direct control of where you're going with an analog stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so sort of sort of the the n64 era platform i didn't really engage with many 3d platforms on the playstation at all most of my experience in the early days of them was on the n64 um so besides mario 64 there was things like uh banjo kazooie which Mm -hmm. is obviously another sort of very um prominent well-known example of the genre um this was uh, this was one of rare's games and it was one of those games that really helped to establish rare as a dominant force in n64 development so banjo kazooie was just a just a nicely designed game it had attractive graphics and character designs for the time um it had some good humor about it it had great music 
Um, mm-hmm. It had an interesting level design. It had lots lots to do as well. I know it's quite fashionable to, to bash Rare platformers in their later years for being too heavily focused on the collectible side of things, but I, f- I feel like the original Banjo-Kazooie had a nice balance of things to do, and each of the different types of collectibles was sort of... Um, sort of testing a different skill almost so you had the um what did you have you had the musical notes that were basically a bit like coins in mario so they they indicated various paths around the level and then you had the it was the jiggies that were sort of the star equivalents that were rewards for sort of completing significant challenges mm-hmm. and then there were the uh the little things jinjos were they called or something like that yeah, um, yeah. The, the, they, they were sort of the really hidden ones. So those were the ones that really rewarded the exploration. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really like that aspect of Banjo-Kazooie because the sort of how much you'd managed to collect of each of those different types of collectibles was almost showing you how you were playing the game, how well you were doing with the different aspects of the way the game had been designed. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, Banjo-Tooie, the sequel, uh, I have some some mixed memories of because that was one of the uh one of the games that i i was writing a walkthrough for for the official nintendo magazine in this country oh geez so um yeah so you can imagine what an effort that was so having to make a note of how to do everything and also take screenshots of it all as well so basically i had to play through the whole thing twice once to write the guide and then once when i was in the office in london to actually take screenshots of it all as well um <laughs> banjo banjo 2 was really interesting though because it um it was rare starting to get really creative so they were doing some different things in there it was kind of um the beginning of the the 3d platformer doing more than just platforming so banjo 2 he had like a whole first person shooter segment for example and racing sequences and all that kind of thing and and a lot of later platform games that we saw uh, really built on some of the ideas in that game to mix up the mechanics and have you doing different things other than just exploring and jumping on platforms and that kind of thing so um did you have much contact with the n64 yeah well like my notes here is just basically like line one of my notes is croc line two of my notes is just n64 exclamation point um <laughs> so i never played banjo tooie but i definitely mm-hmm. i definitely loved the original banjo kazooie and i had that written down um just rare yeah. in general um you know jet force gemini donkey kong 64 just like all mm-hmm. their stuff um yeah but like one of the reasons i wanted to talk about the n64 specifically was just the you know the the delicious glut of these kind of games that mario 64 ushered in Yes. So um, the big one I had written down that I wanted to talk about because it was mechanically weird and I loved it and I never meet people who played it was Chameleon Twist. Did you ever play Sunsoft's Chameleon Twist? No, that's one I do want to get hold of though. Um, And it's not horrendously expensive to collect these days, so I must try and get my hands on that at some point. Yeah, so Chameleon Twist... That's the one with the tongue, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Mm. So you can stick your tongue out and then you can use the analog stick to control like where it goes, like, yeah. like it's, it's, and you just like make it move across the screen. Um, it's more of um, the levels in Chameleon Twist. It, it's not so much like a grand 3D platformer in like the Mario 64 mold. It's more like um, Super Mario, the one on the Wii U was. Like it's more oh, yeah. like these yeah, yeah. like toy like dioramas that you explore, yeah. which I really enjoy that that style of, of platformer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah um, me too. But I just loved Chameleon Twist, um, mainly because it was super abstract. Like, every level was just, like, 
there's no semblance of reality in Chameleon Twist. It's like, oh no, yeah. here comes a giant ice cream cookie sandwich. Like, don't get killed <laughs> by that. Like, like none of it really makes. Like, most of the enemies are like fun treats because you want to eat them up with your tongue, right? It's just a really like, pastel world with like really strange geometries. It's really trippy and mechanically interesting. Yeah, and there is two of them. There is two of them. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I really wanted to mention Chameleon Twist. Um, I have fond memories of Glover. Yeah, another one I didn't play, but was uh, was sort of familiar with in passing. So I, I I recall that was that was one that got reasonably sort of middling reviews over here. So it's it's one that I passed up at the time. But um, yeah. yeah, so I have fond memories of that one. Um, also, Iggy's Wrecking Balls. Did you ever play Iggy's Wrecking Balls? I know the name of that one, but I can't I can't place I can't picture what it is. It's like the all the like little cute characters were like balls. Like they just yeah. like they didn't have limbs. They were just like little bouncy heads. Yeah. So it had a bit of like marble madness or like marble blast DNA in it. Like how, oh, okay. how you navigated yeah. through the stages. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's just so many. You could list N64 platformers mm-hmm. all day. Yeah, I, I think I think one of my favorites from that glut, not necessarily for being a good platformer, but for being an interesting game, was uh, was Conker's Bad Fur Day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, because that was that was actually rare, breaking from their normal format in a number of different ways. Um, so not only was it not really a collectible, uh, a collectathon platformer, um, it was also very famously um, rare, deciding to sort of ditch the cutesy angle uh, and go and go for a more sort of um, edgy mature humor side to it. i mean i say mature there's a giant poo monster in it but i was gonna say um, congress <laughs> mature, mature is not the word i would yeah. use i mean it, it's got swearing in it uh let's 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 put it that way but no i i liked conquer because um it's sort of um it was almost like a subversion of the collectathon thought format in that it did keep track of what you'd collected in terms of cash so yeah conquer was always rewarded with cash for completing one of the objectives in the game but it wasn't it, it the way you got that cash was not the way you got say a jiggy and banjo kazooie or something like that it was always it was always a reward waiting for you at the end of a story sequence or something like that and that was i think one of the main things i found interesting about conquer was that it was a series of interesting and amusing narrative set pieces that just happened to make use of platform game mechanics along the way okay um and so so conquer is um it, it takes you through uh, Conquer's not split into discrete levels is the other thing as well. So un- unlike stuff like uh, Mario and Banjo and that kind of thing, Conquer is all one big, reasonably coherent world. It's not completely open world because there's still sort of scene transitions and so on, and there's specific places you go at specific times. But it, it doesn't it doesn't sort of have that sort of demarcation between levels. It doesn't say now you're going to level three, the haunted house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that approach because it, it just it just kind of captured the feeling of this silly narrative that you were following. So if you're not familiar with Conker, the, the basic plot of it is that Conker is a squirrel who was out drinking too late the previous night um, and he wakes up in a field um, and just needs to get home with a raging hangover. Um, and along the way, he gets into a series of increasingly ridiculous mishaps. Um, and yeah, the, the structure of the game 
just sort of summarizes that increasingly ridiculous journey that he goes on so he's, he's starting with this sort of exploration of, uh, of of a farm and all strange things that are going on around there and it sort of culminates in him, in him going to war in this sort of really harrowing recreation of world war ii um where he's he's fighting against the the evil teddies um and sort of using heavy weaponry and machine guns and that sort of thing so Again, this was another example of Rare experimenting with mechanics and sort of bringing in different genres into the 3D platformer format. Mm-hmm. So at different points in Concrete, it very, very much shifted gameplay style. So again, there was sort of a racing sequence partway through. There were sections that were heavily dependent on puzzle solving and sort of creative use of the environment. Then there were sections that were pure platforming. Um, there was the, the the World War Two section, which was sort of a combination of stealth and third-person shooter elements. There were really interesting boss fights, very few of which that were sort of straight sort of brute force things. A lot of them were sort of heavily mechanics-based and observation and timing and patterns and that sort of thing. Um, and so I really liked that game, and I, I always thought it was a bit of a shame that we didn't see more of them. I did really like the Xbox remake that they did. Uh, under microsoft that's actually still one of the best looking original xbox games as well um and it's yeah it's, it's just a shame that rare hasn't had the opportunity to do anything else with conquer ever since because he was he was a good character i think he was very much of his time so i don't know if if sort of his humor would land quite so well these days <laughs> i would say but, definitively not um i i mean i i replayed i replayed the xbox version quite recently and i still found it amusing but it's it's just Uh, i'm not talking about you and me no i know i i I know what you mean but uh yeah so so it's just whether or not sort of the broader market um to to politely put it would uh, would respond well to it but i don't really feel like seeing articles about how problematic conquer is and how no conquer normalizes toxic masculinity yeah but i mean at the same at the same time we have plenty of uh animated series that are doing a similar kind of humor to what conquer was doing it's doing sort of edgy edgy humor sort of having a a grown-up but irresponsible in immature protagonist so I, I think there's ways that it could work, but um, the, the way things are with Rare and Microsoft at the moment, I don't see it ever happening again. So we have to just sort of take Conquer as a, a relic of the past, unfortunately. But well, if, first, uh, it, if we got anything new, it wouldn't come from Rare. No. Right? It would come from Platonic. Yes. which Because no one who made Conquer is at Rare anymore. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They're all at Platonic now. Yes. Um, talking to them then, did, did you play ukulele at I all? did, it's on my list. I wanted to specifically talk a little bit about some modern indie stuff. Um, yeah, I did play ukulele, not extensively, but I did mm-hmm. play it. Um, I was a Kickstarter backer, I believed yeah. in it. Um, I don't love it. Um, I think that that is shared amongst a lot of people. I think it's good. I think it's competent. Um, but the camera is not very good, and that really yeah. detracts a lot from my ability to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Now, there has been extensive patches meant to address some of that stuff, but I have not played it since those patches dropped. So right. my, my, my impressions are mainly from like the couple weeks around launch. Um, but I do think it's good. It's just it, technically... You can feel how low its budget was when you play right. it. When you play it, and I hate to be judgmental on that standpoint, but it's it it 
it feels cheap when you play yeah. it. It really yeah. does. And it's a shame because the ideas are there. The platforming is solid. There's, um, you know, like you were mentioning with Banjo-Tooie, there's moments that subvert the uh, the mechanical expectations of the 3D platformer. So mm-hmm. um, each of like the worlds you can go to have a like a like a transformation sequence where you turn into like a dump truck or something, and then like yeah. So then there's it, it will play differently, and there's specific tasks you have to accomplish as part of that transformation. So there's cool little hooks in there that are mechanically different. There's a lot of really neat ideas. Um, yeah, and I do think it's worth playing. But I think you need to temper your expectations with the fact that it, it is does not feel like a like a. It has some rough edges, basically. Yeah. Is, all, is yeah. all I'm trying to say. And if you enter into the experience expecting those, then you can kind of temper the way you approach it. But mm-hmm. it is not the end all, be all, beautiful revival of 3D platform or mascot platforms that we were hoping for. Uh, that's a shame. Oh well. Well, I I mean. They they gave it a go at least, and yeah, it's also, great. yeah, and it's um, also they they probably learned a great deal from it as well. So if they do something else, they they will probably do an even better job of it. So if 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 sort of their their attempt at going it alone produced something that was pretty competent and good, mm-hmm. then hopefully moving on from there, things will only get better from there. So yeah, I mean that's uh, been my that's been my opinion of the game the whole time. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm always very willing to talk about where I think it was unsuccessful, but uh, it is good. <laughs> it is yeah. fun. It is playable, and it, it did accomplish what it set out to do. It didn't do it as successfully as it meant to, but that's yeah. okay. And um, like you said, if we contextualize it as a learning exercise, this was a very small team making a very big game using mm-hmm. an engine that they weren't 100% invested in. I mean, not invested in, but not 100% familiar with because they didn't build it from the ground up. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of caveats in there that led to it being the product it was. So yeah. if we ever get a, a ukulele two, um, I have no doubt that it'll be a much more polished experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I had also mentioned uh, Hat and Time. Have you ever gotten a chance to play that? that, that that's no, been I an haven't. I re- one that's yeah, I do really want to play that though because I know that that was that was very well received when it came out. So I haven't played it yet, but it's it's one that I do want to give a try. Yeah, me neither. But I did want to at least bring it up because it's it's one of kind of the darlings of that scene right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another one I had written down is Unbox. Have you ever played Unbox? No, I never heard of that one. Yeah, okay. Unbox is really cute. That one I have played. I have it on Steam, and I think it's coming to console. I think it might be coming to PS on the PlayStation Network or something. Right. Um, so Unbox is like... The, the whole, like, narrative of Unbox is that there's, like, an Amazon-style, like, global, like, shipping and online shopping conglomerate, and that they found the best way for them to save money on shipping was to create these sentient boxes that deliver themselves. <laughs> this sounds and, great. And so you play as one of these adorable little sentient boxes. Yeah. And, like, you explore this platforming world and, like, try to deliver yourself or, like, try to help other boxes deliver themselves to, like, (laughs) delivery points. And it's just got a really cute aesthetic. Like, the boxes have these adorable little smile faces on them. And um, you can unlock, like, skins for the boxes as you progress that are, like, cute. Mm. And it's just 
um, really good platforming with a, a strong emphasis on um, physics. Like the physics are really good. Like the way yeah. you fall and the way the box reacts to gravity, right? Because you have you're not round and you don't have legs. You have corners and edges. So like the way you fall from from launching yourself can be kind of dependent on the way you land on a corner and then you might roll over and then fall off the platform, right? Because the physics pulled you in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at this on Steam now. This looks adorable. It's really cool. It's a really <laughs> cool game. I had never heard of it. Even like, you know, development-wise, I didn't know it was something to follow. I just got it as part of a bundle that I had bought. And yeah. I was and I was just really charmed by it. And if there's ever a physical release on console, I'll be sure to support it. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this looks great. I'll have to have to give that a, a look for myself, definitely. So that's my little weird obscure nugget to throw in there was unbox. Fair enough. Yeah, sounds like a good one. Excellent. So, um, other experiences from from throughout the ages. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking back now and sort of beyond this, some of the stuff I played in the N64 era, um, most of my experience with 3D platformers since has been with Mario and Sonic, uh, with a couple of exceptions. So, I think um, there was uh, the the Jack and Daxter series on PS2. Sure, I I played the first one of those and was pretty impressed with that actually at the time because it was, um, it was doing a lot of interesting things, particularly with the the sort of open world design of it. I was very impressed with the the kind of seamless world design that that mm -hmm. I love that the game original Jack and Daxter. Um, I haven't played it for a long game. time, so I so I don't know how well it holds up today. Very but well, I, very well. That's good. Yeah, because I got um, the PS3 collection. Yes, and uh, I love it. Mm. Yeah, so so I remember Jack and Daxter sort of having uh, th that really interesting world to explore, and it was it was kind of a blend between a sort of vaguely believable world with a heavy dose of abstract landscapes and stuff on there as well. So there were there were sort of the floating platforms and stuff that you'd expect from. Um, sort of a, a traditional platform game but also there were some aspects of the environment that made it a bit more believable and so on so um, I enjoyed that kind of thing as as a technical showcase for the PS2 and also I remember things like sort of the, the dialogue and the characters and it being quite entertaining and quite mm -hmm. witty as well so it's it's not a game I've played for a long time but um, yeah hearing you say that it, it holds up pretty well it's uh, one that I might have to revisit at some point. Yeah I haven't I, I, revisited I, 2 and 3 yet but yeah, uh, but, I was going to say I'm completely, well. I'm completely unfamiliar with the second and third ones. So, did did you play those ones back in the day? Only in passing. Right. Part of the reason I was keen to get the collection on the PS3 was so I could actually finally seriously play two and three. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to start two and three, two until I beat one, and then I got distracted from yeah. beating one, and then you know how yeah. life goes. Um, okay. So the thing about two and three that were interesting is kind of they tried to make the whole thing a little edgier. Right. So there's like yeah. gun, there's like guns and ve and then in three there's vehicles, um, so they kind of trickled new stuff in. Yeah, that was a bit of a pattern around the time, wasn't it? It's like it reminds me a bit of what they did with what Ubisoft did with Prince of Persia. Like the sure. the, the second Prince of Persia game was the edgy one, wasn't it? If I yeah. remember correctly. Oh God, the game was unbearable. <laughs> the second Prince of Persia, enemy. What was it like? Enemy within or something? It was yeah. Like, it's like all of a sudden it was like terrible, like terrible like new metal like all the commercials were like like all the electric guitar and like look at the prince of persia and his he's got eyeliner now so you better watch out 
<laughs> I know because like the first new Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, was yeah. such like an un it, like it wasn't self-aware. It was like what we were talking about with um Smash Brothers, right? Like it wasn't self-aware. It wasn't um postmodern. It was just this ad- adorable like proper like take on Prince of Persia. Like, oh, let's make a cool game set in an Arabian Nights setting. Yeah. It's going to be fun, and there's going to be platforming puzzles and some basic combat, and everyone's going to have a good time, and we're going to mm-hmm. tell a straight-faced story of, of like, a Scheherazade-style Arabian night story. Yeah. And that's going to be what we're going to do. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then two came along, and it's like, oh, multiple swords, metal bikinis. <laughs> like, like, no, it was so bad. <laughs> and I was so turned off from the second one that I didn't. I didn't keep playing them. Then I didn't try the third one. I didn't. I think the third one was supposed to be quite good, wasn't it? I know Is the it... third one was supposed to be good, but I just didn't play it. Yeah, I was like, no. <laughs> it's like, no, fool me once. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, what other ones did I want to mention? I think. Um. I can't remember if we've, if we've talked about Sly Cooper before, but I vaguely remember no. you saying you weren't a big fan of Sly Cooper. Is um, that right? No, I've never played Sly Cooper. I'm not ah, a fan of Ratchet okay. and Clank. I don't like right. Ratchet and Clank. Ratchet and Clank I haven't played, so I can't really comment on that. I, I think my, the limit of my exposure to Ratchet and Clank is, one, having a friend who really, really, really liked it, uh, and two, I think I might have played a demo on PSP at one point, uh, but that that is the extent of my experience with Ratchet oh, and Clank. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't so, care so, for Ratchet and Clank. So I, I don't know a lot about them. Sly Cooper I do really like um, because there's uh, – I've only played the first two. I do have the trilogy pack on PS3. Um, but the, the first two are quite interestingly different games. So the first one feels very much like um, it's designed in a similar mold to, um, to N64-era platformers. Okay. In that, in that, it's sort of split into discrete stages. There's obviously objectives you need to complete, um, specific paths you need to go, and it's 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 very much a platform game. So there are stealth elements in there, um, but it's it, it's mostly a fairly conventional, traditional platform game. Um, the second game, meanwhile, took um, took quite a different approach in that it was much more focused on the idea of doing heists. Um, and so it was in many ways it was almost like um almost like a proto assassin's creed in some ways oh cool in that you've got this you've got this sort of fairly open city to wander around and various things that you need to do to prepare for a heist uh, and then you have to go and do the heist um and and so you've got the city to explore there's collectibles and there's objects and there's various challenges you can do around the city uh and then the actual heist side of things was a more sort of scripted type of experience where you have to sort of sneak into a place and get around various obstacles and it's been quite a long time since i played it so i forget a lot of the details but i remember things like there was um a sequence where you're sort of sneaking into a club and you're sort of crawling around all the light fittings in the roof to begin with uh, before dropping down into the offices and breaking into the safes and so on and um the one thing that sly cooper really nailed was the the sort of um the sort of close-knit buddy relationship between the the people involved in the heists yeah yeah, so so they, they they did a really good job of having these very distinct quite exaggerated characters um working together to pull off these these heists 
and um yeah it was it was just a just a really enjoyable experience um and so that's that's another one that i I really need to revisit at some point because i i never actually finished the second one but i was having a really good time with it while i was playing it so um definitely one i i want to look back on as well um didn't two have like that really delicious cel-shaded style too yeah they're all like that they're they've all got this absolutely gorgeous cel-shaded look uh like i say the 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 level design of the first one is a bit more sort of artificial if you like so it, it feels a lot more like platform games um but the yeah the the second one has got this very very nice um aesthetic to it so and it's got sort of heavy use of a distinct color scheme so like this the 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 main city setting of the um the the most of it unfolds in is um sort of bathed in these sort of blues and purples and so on and it just looks really lovely um i also have a feeling you might have a thing for um carmelita montoya fox from the you series would be correct well. yes yes I'm, I'm having not even played the game i'm totally <laughs> i am i'm i am familiar with that character and was about to mention her as well so. <laughs> yeah so uh i mean she's she's worth playing the games for if nothing else so um definitely definitely worth a look all right. Um, I mean, any other specific examples you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I mean, all my notes had been focused on the N sixty four era, but like now yeah. that you're, now that we're talking about Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter and, and um, Sly, now I'm like, oh wait, the PS two era was like ripe with these kind of games too, and like, they didn't all have to be good. Like I'm just yeah. thinking about like all the ones that came out from like these kind of third-party studios like from the west gradually but like i remember there was that legend of k that was pretty popular that actually got a a remaster on like modern consoles recently yeah um so that was a big one there was um there was that one that that the nickelodeon network threw its weight behind in the u.s attack and the power of juju there were like two or three of those oh yes um there was also one that was um egyptian themed it was there was a sphinx it was like Sphinx was the name of the game, and it was just like a platformer where you were like a Sphinx dude with like claws. Yeah, that was that exist. So this like the PS2 had a lot of these kind of games on it. Now I'm kind of yeah. feeling like a dum dum for not having played more of them. And I was so focused on RPGs back in the PS2 yeah. day. I th- I think what happened with the PS2 era is because that that was very much the era where sort of gaming really exploded, didn't it? In terms yeah. of sort of the sheer number of things available. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you think back to the N64 library, I mean, if if you talk to collectors these days, it, it's very feasible to have a complete collection of N64 games because sure. there's there's not that many of them, and a lot of them are these 3D mascot platformers. Whereas you look at the PS2 era, there's like several thousand games available for the PS2. And so it's it, it, thinking thinking about it in that context, it's kind of not surprising that a lot of these sort of passed a lot of people by. I know, like you, like you say, you were prioritizing RPGs and things, and yeah, I was I was sort of in the same situation. I was prioritizing sort of the big name games, things like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that, along with RPGs and such like as well, and things like platform games were stuff that I would occasionally engage with. So I remember a couple that I played. I think. Um, there was one called Haven Call of the King that I I remember playing, but I don't remember a lot about aside from it having a really nice orchestral soundtrack. Mm. Um, and so I remember the existence of a lot of these games, but I also remember not engaging with them because it wasn't what I was into at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah. so it's it's obviously a pretty a pretty rich era that's that's worth going back to and exploring if you uh, if you have an interest in um the idea of 3d mascot platformers because there's a lot out there there's it's still well worth exploring like if if stuff like sly cooper is is anything to go by a lot of these still hold up pretty well today mm-hmm. i know i had mentioned to you too uh the maximo series was yes. really cool i mean yes. i don't know if they're quite what we would consider mascot platformers but they had jumping and running in the 3d space with cartoony style graphics so i guess um Max- maximo was from capcom um an attempt to reboot the ghosts and goblins yes franchise um and they were developed in the West, so I remember not really engaging with them when they were new because I was in my late teens when the PS2 was in its heyday. Kind of, I was pretty xenophobic in the way I approached games, and I just kind of refused to give credence to anything that was Western developed. Yeah. Like if it was if it wasn't Japanese, I wouldn't play it at all. Like mm-hmm. period. Like I was just a jerk like that. So like, like I remember <laughs> I remember being like, "What's Capcom doing handing this property off to a Western developer?" But like. They are good games. They're really good games. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun to play, um, and they incorporate some of the classic Ghosts and Goblins elements, kind of fun into you know. It's like you're you know when you get hit enough, your armor does bust off, and you're in your little underpants and stuff. Yeah. It's, so it's it's kind of filled with those little little touches. But I would really recommend checking those out. They've aged quite well mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. I had also written down um, some of like Treasure's weird experiments with 3D platformers. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know we, I you know I, I didn't want to talk about Mario stuff too much, but I think Wario is fair game. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a little different. And and the Wario game that Treasure made on the GameCube is amazing. Yeah, um, it's just a chaotic like no holds barred like platformer beat em, with a beat em up elements as well right because like <laughs> wario just like wails on everything with these great combos and like gold and jewels just like fly everywhere and there's really creative boss battles um it's just treasure really plying their trade specifically to a 3d platformer which is not something they did a whole heck of a lot of yeah. 2d platformers yes but not 3d so mm-hmm. um it's a really interesting game to get your hands on if you can yes yes um would you count? Oh, I forget what it's called. The weird game with the tits and the scar. I was literally about to mention that. <laughs> yeah. God, what is the name of that game? I, it's called something completely different in different territories. That's what's confusing me. I think it's called Freak Out over here or yeah. over there. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and I want to say like Shadow Panic or something. Like, But that's not it. Uh, oh, stretch God, panic. Stretch there panic. you go. Yeah, I yeah. was close. Stretch panic. Yeah, yeah. So stretch panic was a really early PS2 game from Treasure, wherein the whole mechanics of the game were based on um, that Treasure had figured out a way to program a really early physics engine yeah. that um, was able to render stretching and bouncing mm-hmm. in um, a semi—I well, won't say realistic, but an interesting way—with yeah. um, polygons and naturally their first. Um, instinct as one's first instinct is when you've created a way to make stretching and bouncing possible is to make a game about boobs um (laughs) so in stretch panic you're this like really obscure looking little girl and the whole thing has this weird like tim burton-esque like dark look like really drug trippy like 
uh, yeah, it, look it's, to it's it where it's everything's like massive, massive heads and spindly limbs and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and like and like weird ge- like basic geometries, and it's very strange. And the the whole like thing is that like the bad guys are like these weird ladies who are obsessed with plastic surgery and like self modification, and like hmm. so they all have these like ridiculous like giant fake spherical breasts. And you have a magic scarf that you can stretch and move around the screen using the analogs with a hand on the end of it, and you pinch things with it. Yeah. And the way you attack these enemies is you stretch the scarf out and you grab their weird boobs and you stretch them and then you let go. And then they snap back like a rubber band. And that's how... That's how you damage the enemies. That is one of the most satisfying things I've done in any game. Is just the whole stretch and snap thing in that game. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, like, it feels you, you, good, and the sound effects are right on key. Because you defeat all the bosses in that way as well. All the bosses have a weak point that you need to grab hold of at the right moment, and then just grab it, stretch it, and then just snap it back. And it's, oh, it's, it's, just, it's just so fun. I mean, it's, it's a weird game, and I haven't quite decided if it's good or not. But um, <laughs> it's curious. That's right. But it's you know, it's treasure. It's really experimental, and there's yeah. nothing else like it. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone absolutely. kind of forgets it when they're having greater dialogues about like Treasure's history because like yeah. everyone forgets that Treasure's continued to make games in that era. Yeah. Everyone kind of is like, okay, when the PS1 and Saturn era was done, Treasure went away. It's like, no, as a matter of fact, they didn't. Mm-hmm. They made Stretch Panic, they made that great Wario game, they made um the best Gradius. Gradius 5 on the PS2 yeah. was the best Gradius hands down. Um so they were experimenting in that space with some really interesting concepts. So yeah, stretch panic, or what did you call it? Freak out in it's your territory? Fre- it's called freak out over here, and it's called Hippolinda in Japan. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, so it's named something completely different in every territory it came out in. So no wonder no one remembers it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta put that on my list of PS2 games. I've been on a PS2 collecting tear lately. Yeah. Um, so I gotta put that on my list of stuff to pick up still. Along with Primal. That's not really a platformer per se, it's more of a 3D character action game. But, um, I've come across that lately as something that I need to play. Ah, okay. I, I always get that mixed up with, uh, with something else. I, I, th- I think I get it mixed up with, like, Prey or something like that. Like, the original Prey, not the more recent one, but... Oh, yeah, that's a good game too, the original yeah. Prey. Um... No, yeah. Primal was a 3D action platformer that was uh, published first party by Sony, um, and it was very much of like the its era, like kind of mm. what I was just making fun of with Prince of Persia. Yeah. It's very much like, I'm going to listen to Evanescence and be sad all afternoon while <laughs> playing this game, because it was just like, I'm a sassy brunette, and I'm going to go into a dark world filled with monsters with my gargoyle companion and learn <laughs> and get monster transformations. Like, it's very like, oh boy. But yeah. it's also like really well executed and, and cool. <laughs> so it's on my like list of stuff to play. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. That's that's one that I often see about. It's quite a common PS2 one over here. Yeah, because um, it was a first so, party game, so it was, you know, it was printed en masse. So it's yeah. not rare. It's not rare, but it's a competent game. Yeah. Oh, I have to check that out because, like I said, that's, that's not one I, I've ever felt inclined to pick up for some reason. But um, yeah, it sounds sounds pretty interesting. And yeah, it's honest, worth it. To be honest, I I I, I kind of like the the silly emo thing. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I do if it's not like terrible. Like, yeah. If it like, feels genuine and it doesn't feel like a cash-in, then it's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Prince of Persia felt like, like we're doing this because it's what's popular and you're going <laughs> to like it. Primal was like, this is this game's world. Like, yeah. it was of its time, but it wasn't insincere about its presentation. So right. it's a totally different vibe. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, I think we're going away from this segment with uh, more things yeah. that I need to play than we came in with, uh, which is which is good to be honest. Well, it's um, not a, not a bad way for these things no, to go. Exactly. Give me give me uh, plenty of ideas on new things to add to the collections. The PS2 is still the most substantial part of my collection, and I, I feel there's still plenty more room to expand it. So uh, yeah, yeah, mine too. Good, yeah. good to have some uh, some good recommendations for it. Yeah, I'm okay. just excited for you to capture um, stretch panic footage for the video version. Oh, God, yeah, I've got, got to remember how those controls work. <laughs> uh, oh, you yeah. have it? Uh, yeah, I do have it. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, so, that's so awesome. I can, I can actually capture my own footage for that. Um, so yeah, I have to, <laughs> remains to be seen if I can remember exactly how to stretch and snap boobs. Um, You'll figure right. it out. It's like riding a bike; you never really forget. <laughs> All right. So, before we wrap up for today, is there anything else you wanted to bring up for the subject? No, we've gone well, well above and beyond my original scope for this conversation. I'm quite pleased. Excellent. All right. So, uh, let's wrap up in the usual way then. So, why don't you tell people where to find you on the internet and give you money and commission you and that sort of thing? Yes. Please enjoy my artwork and give me money. Um, I can be found at MrGilderPixels.com. That's M-R-G-I-L-D-E-R-P-I-X-E-L-S.com. Um, as well as on um, Twitter and Instagram as MrGilderPixels. Also Tumblr, but we won't talk about Tumblr anymore. Oh, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, Come check out my work and leave me some likes and comments. And uh, please, please be aware that um, retweeting and sharing is really helpful for artists um, to get to get people's to have more eyes on their work. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really like to engage with people. So come, come chat with me. I'm, I'm planning my next painting as we speak. So I'd really love some input from people. Yeah, excellent. Uh, retweeting and liking is also very helpful for writers as well so it, um, you will find all my writing over at mariagamer.net uh, that's where I write uh, most days in the week at the moment uh, also publish a bunch of videos on the YouTube channel that you may be watching this podcast on if you're listening to this podcast on SoundCloud there will be a link to the YouTube channel down in the description as well so do please go and check that out uh, I've got several ongoing Let's Play series at the moment, so playing Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast on Sundays at the moment for the Sunday Driving series. Uh, currently banging my head against Project Zero's post-game on Fridays for the New Game Plus series. That bloody ghost list is going to give me a heart attack by the end of the uh, the month, I feel. Um, and what else am I playing? Warriors Orochi on Wednesdays, and also some old Atari 8-bit games on Tuesdays and Atari ST games on Thursdays. So, do please check those out uh like comment subscribe share all that usual social media gubbins thank you very much um yes we hope you've enjoyed our discussion today uh if you've got any thoughts and comments do feel free to leave comments on the youtube video or on the soundcloud um thing or on uh mariogamer.net as well where this podcast will be posted along with all the means of subscribing and such like so also, thank i'd you. like to say if people have ideas for topics for future episodes yes yes, i'd love to hear some other things that people would like to hear us talk about i mean we're always building a list so throw some ideas out there yeah absolutely we do have a nice spreadsheet of uh, potential topics lined up already but if there's anything that any of you would particularly like to hear us discuss or uh, or explore perhaps for the first time in some cases if it's something that we're not overly familiar with we're happy to do research um so do let us know if you'd like us to explore a specific topic in a future episode 
So, thank you very much for watching and or listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.